0: On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, in the same week that ESPN is launching its fantasy football marathon and fantasy football drafts are coming into focus, we are going to be joined by the fantasy football expert, my friend, Field Yates. All right, Field, you're fresh back from Los Angeles. You're a throng of adoring fans there, speaking to them at some kind of theater, it looked like, by following you on Instagram. You're in between tapings of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast, along with the other stars, Daniel Dopp, Stefania Bell. And we're getting ready for another Fantasy Football Marathon on ESPN, Monday and Tuesday, wall-to-wall fantasy coverage. It is that time of the year, is not it Fields?
1: It is, Adam, and people wonder what's the busiest time of the football season. There are 17 regular season weeks, of course, five weeks in the postseason. But I tell them that August often is the busiest time, because that's when the questions ramp up. And I I tell people I'm way more popular in August than I am in real life. I have people coming out of the woodwork saying, who's the best sleeper? Who is the guy that I need to avoid in the first two rounds? Or who would you take if you had the first overall pick in the draft? It's gratifying and fulfilling until we turn the page to the regular season. And then those people stop asking me questions.
0: Okay, so we're going to get to each of those three questions. Which sleeper you would take, the players you need to avoid, and who you would take with the number one overall pick. But August to you, Field, has to be, to me, what free agency is for us, what the draft is for us. And I think the end of the regular season, the start of the postseason, when there are coaches who are fired and hired, and the postseason is beginning, it's a crazy time. But for a fantasy guy, anybody who's dabbling in the fantasy world, there's not a busier month than the month of August. So let's keep your August even busier. Let's allude to some of those questions that you touched on that people want the answers to in addition to a whole bunch of other questions and rankings that we're gonna to get to during this podcast. But who are some of your fantasy sleepers for this upcoming season?
1: You know, I actually think this year, Adam, there are more sleepers than wow. I can recall in previous years. And Why I do you a, think that is? I have a theory as to why. Uh, a lot of times we, by proxy, you have, you give value to wide receivers or tight ends that play with good quarterbacks, right? I mean, I believe in players that are associated with Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Drew Brees because I believe so wholeheartedly in the quarterbacks. And if you look at, for example, those three teams, you know, in Green Bay, there are question marks beyond Devontae Adams at wide receiver. In New England, there are question marks beyond Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman, but Edelman will miss the first four games of the season. And then in New Orleans, there is an intriguing potential number two wide receiver behind Mike Thomas. So I think that there are a lot of sleepers at the wide receiver category, and then this is going to be the uh, I don't know how many years I've been doing this, but however many number of years that number of years that I have said consecutively, there is plenty of depth at quarterback, which yep. means there's going to be good sleeper possibilities at quarterback. Whether it's a guy like Mitch Trubisky or others that aren't even, you know, not that Derek Carr is not well known, but based off but his value is down. Position it's way down this year. Yeah,
0: His value is down, and Trubisky I like is a sleeper too. Okay, so who are some of those wide receivers in Green Bay and New England and New Orleans that you do like in addition to some of these other sleepers field?
1: You know, I actually want to mention that at one point on your Instagram feed, Adam, you were doing, I believe it's an Ask Me Anything or something along those lines, a Q&A on Instagram, which is a new feature they have through the story function somewhat recently. And yep. you mentioned this player by name uh, on that Q&A, which was Geronimo Allison in, in Green Bay. Yep. Uh, if you figure that... Devontae Adams is locked into the number 1 wide receiver job, and Randall Cobb, if he gets healthy by the start of the regular season, I, I mean fully healthy, no concerns about that ankle injury, well, there's still plenty of opportunity for a third wide receiver. Geronimo Allison has been around that Packers system for quite some time now, and they continue to bring him back. And when Aaron Rodgers somewhat recently railed on scout team wide receivers and for, for what he called basically a poor session of, uh, of practice, he immediately said, I'm not talking about Geronimo Allison. He calls him GMO and a couple other players, but I think Geronimo Allison is a sleeper. In New England, I think that Kenny Britt could be a sleeper, a well-known name, a guy who got paid massively by the Browns last off season. But you think about the timing of when the Patriots picked him up. I believe it was in December. It wasn't long after his release, and it was a two-year deal. They understood whatever they got out of him last season was gravy. The real reason why you bring him aboard is to have him in the fold for future years. Kenny Britt has different size and speed ability than some of the other Patriots wideouts. Um, that being said, Cordero Patterson, Eric Decker figure into the mix there. Uh, but then in New Orleans, probably one of my favorite sleepers, which is Cam Meredith. And this offseason, the Bears tendered him, um, at a, an original round tender, which meant that the, any team could sign him to an offer. And if the Bears did not match it, that player would go to his new team without any compensation back, back to Chicago. I do sometimes follow the money in fantasy football. You have to. And Cam Meredith got around, you know, north of ten million dollars over two seasons. The knee issue was legitimate. The Bears were not comfortable there, and they felt they had done enough reparation wise to their wide receiver group that they could sustain not having Meredith around. Again, though, if you have Drew Brees as your quarterback and you're the potential number two wide receiver behind only Mike Thomas, I like Cam Meredith as a potential sleeper.
0: The only thing I would tell you there, and I like Cam Meredith too. I think he was a really good player in Chicago before he got hurt. You know who's been very good in training camp so far?
1: Were you going to say Ted Ginn?
0: Ted Ginn. Yeah,
1: and speed kills. And last year, Drew Brees' overall volume of passing was down a little bit. But I think that it's even possible that if Ted Ginn remains a factor again this year, yeah. that Cameron Merida still could haul in something like 60 to 80 catches. Yep. And it's worth noting, Adam, that you and I play in one fantasy league together. It's the War Room League. It's often discussed here at ESPN. That's 16 teams. A lot of the leagues that I play in are much larger than just ten teams. So when I'm thinking about sleepers, you know, I do think about players that could be available if you're playing in a 12, 14, or 16 team league. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people to think that, you know, just because I'm mentioning them now, that in your next 10 team draft you need to rush to, you know, the you know the the draft selection board and and, and grab them in round 10. Right. There are enough players available in a 10 team league that most of the names you're going to pick up are well known and well discussed.
0: How about some other sleepers aside from the Packers and the Patriots and the Saints wide receiver positions field? Who jumps out to you this year as guys that are on your radar? Yeah,
1: John Ross in Cincinnati intrigues me a little That's bit. That's interesting. Yeah. Not me. Not me. Not you. And I understand that probably part of that is because, you know, you, maybe you believe in Tyler Boyd. Maybe you're just down on the Cincinnati offense in general. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, John Ross, ninth overall pick for a reason last year, exceptional speed, and maybe it's a little bit Deshaun Jackson-like, not to make an easy comparison, but there are games where he gets you four catches for 120 yards and a touchdown, and there are games where he gets you one catch for 36 yards and nothing else besides that. Um, But he's going to be an interesting one. And then I'm not quite ready to relent on the idea that Tyro Williams can't be the number two wide receiver in Los Angeles for the Chargers. Um, I was I actually only have been to one training camp and we'll only get to one training camp this year because we do the podcast every day during the preseason. But I went to Charger's camp um early last week and saw Mike Williams, and there's a lot of positive buzz surrounding him at that camp. Um, you know, the pads are barely on, and you know at the time that I was there, they had not yet played a preseason game, but a lot of people feel really good about Mike Williams. and when I think about players that have emerged as sleepers over the years, Uh, that we weren't talking about enough during the preseason. It tends to be not the guys that we were not aware of at all, but it's players that had enough talent to be on our radar in some way, shape, or form previously that just got buried for one reason or another. So John Ross, Mike Williams, both check that box.
0: Okay, you mentioned players you needed to avoid. Who are we putting in that category right now, Field?
1: Yeah, I'd go let's, – let's start at running back just because it's the one position where I think people mess up the most. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because there's so little depth there. But the first couple of names that come to mind for me, I start in Philadelphia with Jay Ajayi, uh, and not because I don't like the player and not because I don't like the team. I think they're going to be very good this year. But, I mean, Philadelphia, on my in my, my – Estimation could have three running backs, if not four, that contribute this year meaningfully. Obviously, you know Corey Clement was spectacular in the Super Bowl. Darren Sproles was re-signed and almost retired and then decided to play one more year. You know there's a lot of trust there with Darren Sproles. Wendell Smallwood last year on occasion contributed. And it's not so much that I think all three of those guys will be a major factor week to week. But they're all there. They're all there. And Jay Ajayi is a player that Miami traded in part because of some, I would say, dedication issues. But also there are a lot of teams uh, that before he was drafted had legitimate concerns about his knee and not working him too much. And I think that Philadelphia is going to be pretty smart about never overextending Jay Ajayi. So he's a player that is drafted amongst the top 20 running backs that I'm not totally sold on. And then his former teammate, Kenyon Drake, I love the player – and I think that last year, I mean, I know for a fact he was a, one of the top in terms of percentage of playoff teams that had Kenyon Drake. Mm-hmm. One of the more popular players uh, on those teams because of his late season surge. But again, you sort of follow the path that the team took this off season. Frank Gore signed to yeah. a one year deal and presuming he sticks around. And he will. And you, you don't sign Frank Gore to not have him on the 46 man game day roster and not, he can't play on special teams. Um And Kalen Bellage, another player they seem to really like out of Arizona State, those are the two running backs drafted in the top 20 that I would say that I'm most concerned with because I think that they could be top 15 running backs or they could be you know 30 and above in terms of overall value at the end of the season.
0: What's interesting about that is last week we were doing a podcast and we started out with Melvin Gordon who talked about his expectations for the coming season and then we had on Pete Bomarito who runs a training center, training facility down in South Florida. And every year, well, at least the last few years, I've been talking to him for years at this time, but I put him on the podcast the last two years. I always like to call him because he trains over 150 players just to get an idea of who he believes is primed for a big year. So one of the guys that he said last week on the podcast that he thought was primed for a big year was Frank Gore.
1: Hmm, Interesting.
0: And he said he's ageless and yep. that he's in the best shape of his career now. Again, Frank Gore is what he is. He's he's not going to light it up from a fantasy standpoint. He's a Hall of Fame player in my mind. He's the most productive back to come out of Miami, including Edron James and Clinton Portis. But he is enough of a factor to neutralize King and Drake to reinforce what you're saying. That as good as King and Drake is, we don't have any qualms with that. Frank Gore's there. It's sort of like in Indianapolis last year. Yep. Like Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack's a good player. Maybe the guy in Indianapolis this year. But Frank Gore was there, taking carries. And I remember last year, you know who was on Frank Gore? Matthew Berry. Frank Gore's always on Matthew Berry's team, and I never draft Frank Gore. As much respect as I have for him. And it's just slow and steady there. He's just steady production. And that steady production, I believe, is going to cut into King and Drake's production, as you alluded to earlier. And on JGI, I don't disagree because of all the backs they have. I think people forget how much they did use Corey Clement last year in the postseason, how much they liked him. Darren Sproles is dynamic and electric. The guy's a freak. So they got these other guys that can catch the ball all the time. So is jhi in a PPR league ever going to catch passes? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I would think not. And I tend to, in general, shy away from running backs that don't have as much value in the passing game. Noting that if you don't play in PPR scoring, I understand why you're not nearly as concerned. Um, but there are, you know, I play in, in, in all but one of my leagues is, is is PPR scoring, and amongst these backs that are in that top 30, there are only a few that you don't see a ton of passing game production. Mm-hmm. Players like Jay Ajayi, players like Jordan Howard, though I do think that Jordan Howard's being a Bit undervalued. Yeah, I this agree with year. that. I
0: think he's a pretty good player, and he's playing for a good offensive-minded head coach.
1: I believe so as well. And you know, sometimes we don't realize a player, or we say a player doesn't have a particular skill yeah. because we haven't seen it. And I think the poster child for that is no one understood that Todd Gurley was one of the best receiving backs of football <laughs> until last year. Uh He was a mammoth last year in the passing game, and yet two years ago, when obviously it was a pretty uninspired offense. No one – everybody said, oh, well, Todd Gurley is just a first and second down back, and they were in so few obvious running situations that his value torpedoed. I think that in some ways um, Jordan Howard can be kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that for that reason, although he's still ranked in the top – he's actually 16 in the consensus ESPN ranks. Huh? I think there's a chance it's going to slide a little bit in drafts. People are going to be latching on to Tariq Cohen and other Bears, and Howard might prove to be a really good value.
0: Well, and you know what happens sometimes? It's sort of like teams in fantasy where, where just because a team struggled last year doesn't mean it's going to struggle the next year. Just because it was down one year doesn't mean it's going to be down the next year. Particularly that is true with players when they have new coaches. So John Fox isn't the head coach in Chicago anymore. Dal Loggins isn't the offensive coordinator anymore in Chicago. Now we got Matt Nagy, Mark Helfrich, new minds. Look at Los Angeles. Just look at the Rams and the difference that was going on there from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay. You know the and very, Todd Gurley. It's the, same, it's the same concept.
1: Yeah, it, it really is, and I don't, I'm sure you and I know you saw the very first preseason game that we had this year, and that was the best chance for us to really hone in on a preseason game, uh, which actually was replaying right now as we're recording the podcast. Um, but the Hall of Fame game between the Bears and the Ravens, and we did not see much in terms of, you know, the starters there. But if you saw the Bears offense, there were a few wrinkles that were thrown in there early yep. that were super creative. And it's just a reminder that, you know, they were not even close to, you know, revealing the entirety of the deck. Matt Nagy was hired for a very specific reason. And I think it's like double horsepower, right? Mark yep. Helfrich, as you alluded to, former Oregon head coach, He's super innovative. So between him and Nagy, I have a lot of confidence that Jordan Howard is going to get not just a lot of work, but work in ways that will allow him to succeed.
0: Well, it's funny because we had the Fantasy Football Marathon on Monday, August 13th, Tuesday, August 14th. And when we go back to the Fantasy Football Marathon last year, the one point that I tried to hammer home during the entire two days of broadcasting were
1: that I, there were can i see if i can guess them go, I'll, I'll, go ahead there's one that i remember specific a ton from last year go ahead. it may have even gone beyond but before the fantasy football what did marathon. i keep saying i, I kept saying you lo- the saints love alvin kamara well
0: i said that i said that
1: was that one of them or that, you're that was one but knows.
0: what i was going to say to you here was that the rams and 49ers were on sale Because Kyle Shanahan was coming into San Francisco, Sean McVay was coming into the Rams, everybody was thinking of the Rams and 49ers as being these horrendous franchises, which they had been, been fantasy wastelands on offense, which they had been, and both were getting offensive-minded head coaches. So the Bears, Chicago, has been something of an offensive fantasy wasteland, although Jordan Howard has been fairly productive. Now you're getting a guy like Matt Nagy, and I'm not telling you that he will do for them what, Sean McVay did for the Rams, or Kyle Shanahan did for the 49ers, but it's going to be markedly different than what you think of the Bears as, so the Bears are not the Bears that you know, and so the Bears are on sale this year, just like the 49ers and Rams were on sale last year, in my mind.
1: Yeah, I agree on that, and I'm not sure if there's another team that comes to mind as sort of, um, you know, profiles as like an obvious upgrade on offense team. Um, in the same way that the Bears might be, you know, the Browns to a degree. My big, you know, the thing with the Browns is they could pivot at quarterback at any minute. But maybe the only other one that I'm sort of interested schematically about how things change, and here's sort of a Rams tie-in, is what happens in Tennessee with Marcus Mariota playing for Matt LaFleur, their new offensive coordinator hired by Mike Vrabel after actually interviewing for the head coaching job in Tennessee, Mm -hmm young guy considered creative I don't believe he's called plays consistently at the NFL level he hasn't. some, which you know is something to keep in mind um they have a lot of ingredients there right like on on paper and I you know GMs hate hearing the word on paper but on paper the Titans do have quite a bit of intriguing offensive talent if they can put it all together the defense uh, the defenses they will face in that division at least two of them are pretty darn good but Tennessee is an interesting team as well.
0: I don't disagree with that. Now, one of the other questions that you laid out at the beginning of this podcast was, "Who would you take if you had the number one overall pick?" And I know you've been asked that this summer, and so we're going to ask you again. Field, you got the number one pick in the War Room League. Or we'll find that if you do. We're actually, I really hope we do the War Room picks this week because I want to. I'm see itching where, for mine. Itching. I, I, I want to know. Like, so let's consider this a message to the commissioner of the league. Seth Markman, let's get this done, okay? But let's say you had the number one pick, Field.
1: Yep. Who who are you going to? I'm the only person on ESPN that does not have Le'Veon Bell ranked number one amongst running backs. Hmm. And, you know, I, I tell people, and I, I, I will give you the answer, and then I want to, if it's okay, mention something about rankings philosophy. My answer is Todd Gurley. And he was the runaway top player in fantasy last year. Despite the fact that Le'Veon Bell was the runaway player in terms of number of total touches in the NFL last season, which is the best path towards fantasy points is getting the football more and more and more. But Todd Gurley, I think in terms of talent, might be the best running back in the NFL. He is certainly, in terms of wallet, the best paid and most well compensated running back in the NFL. The counterpoint to Todd Gurley is that he had 19 touchdowns last season and that's really difficult to sustain. I would tell you that he doesn't need 19 touchdowns this year to be my favorite to lead the NFL in fantasy scoring or be worthwhile of that number one overall pick. You know, Le'Veon Bell averaged 3.9 yards per carry last season. That's a not particularly inspiring number. The Rams with Todd Gurley, 4.7 yards per carry. And, you know, go back to the division. I'm not saying that Seattle is you know totally irrelevant this season, but the scariest defense in that division... Is no longer. I mean, it's not nearly as scary as it, it has been for a yep. long time, right? Yep. I mean, Seattle has blue chip talent, but they, this feels like a different, you know, changing of the guard. Um, my my sort of riff on rankings that I think is important to note to people every single year is this: is when I do rankings, I view players less as you know RB seven versus RB eight, you know, wide receiver twenty versus wide receiver twenty one. I view them more in tiers. And hey, here are the guys that I have eminent confidence in that no matter what, they're going to perform at a very high level this week yeah. or this season. Because I think that's more effective, Adam. Like, if you wanted to tell me that you're taking Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson, number one overall, I'd say go ahead. I, I don't have a major issue with that. If you want to take Aaron Rodgers over Tom Brady or Tom Brady over Aaron Rodgers, that's fine. So I have him in tears. That being said, if I had the number one overall pick, and, you know, I hope, I hope to in a couple of drafts this year, or at least one this year. Todd Gurley would be my pick.
0: You mentioned David Johnson. You think he's worthy of considering at number one or number two?
1: I do think he's worthy of considering at number one or number two. Uh, I don't have any concerns, obviously, from last year's wrist injury. Nor do I. One of the most interesting players in the NFL, Adam. You know, because when I talk to people around the league, and certainly no one talks to to people around the league more than you, they're not talking about from a fantasy standpoint, but oftentimes they'll say like they think that you know Bell and Gurley are kind of their own little mini tier of running backs. You might throw a couple others into that, into that mix at some point too. And then David Johnson is, we're talking about like a slight, slight notch below, but like, you know, just a step behind them. Um, and if, if you have any concerns about the offensive line in Arizona, that would be perhaps the mitigating factor for David Johnson, uh, who we know will catch the football a ton. You know, again, I just, you know, just like I said, Le'Veon Bell was a little bit limited by that offensive line last year. What happens if, The offensive line in Arizona, which recently lost his starting center in AQ Shipley, does not provide a whole bunch of space for David Johnson to run.
0: And that's a fair question. And just like we're talking about the value of coaches before, not that Mike McCoy is not a good offensive coordinator. He is. But I think Bruce Arians is exceptional. And Bruce Arians isn't there anymore. And so an offense that I think was made more dynamic than it probably should have been because of Bruce Arians... I think takes a, little bit of hit, takes a little bit of a hit by not having him. So that that's the one question mark I have on David Johnson, is how are the Cardinals going to use him, how they're going to deploy him? Is he going to be able to be as effective, particularly behind, as you mentioned, an offensive line that's already suffered some injury, and you wouldn't want to have to go there. Elsewhere in your rankings field, what stands out when you look at your rankings, when you're putting them together? Did you say, boy, I've got this guy ranked higher than than anybody's going to have him ranked, or I have this guy ranked lower than anybody's going to have him ranked? Is there somebody there that we didn't allude to that jumped out to you in where he is ranked?
1: Yep, there are a few players that I would say I've reserved the right to alter my opinions on them
0: mm-hmm.
1: going into the regular season compared to where they were at the beginning of the preseason. And one of the, the players that most comes to mind for me in that regard is Brandon Cooks. The Rams wide receiver who has is now on his third team in three seasons. Three separate franchises have invested a first-round pick in Brandon Cooks. He recently signed a 5-year deal which averages $16 million per season. Uh it during the OTAs and I think it was minicamp as well, the Rams had a mic on Sean McVay, their head coach and clearly he was smitten yes, with yes. Brandon Cooks. The question I think that people are wondering is, okay, well, will he be like Sammy Watkins last year in his one season in LA or the plans much grander for him? Tons of talent from Brandon Cooks and he's had at least a thousand yards and seven touchdowns in three straight seasons. And yet I have him at the beginning of the preseason right outside my top 30 for wide receivers. That to me feel it feels like there's a bit of a disconnect there. So that's a player that I'm keeping an eye on in the preseason to see how. He emerges this season and whether, or this preseason and whether I need to be way further up on him in terms of overall value.
0: You know, it's interesting. Sean Payton loved Brandon Cooks. Bill Belichick loved Brandon Cooks. Sean McVay loves Brandon. They've all loved Brandon Cooks. Yep. He just hasn't produced at that elite level. He's been good. He's been good, but not elite. And the thing with the Rams that I come back to, and I love being invested in the Rams from a fantasy standpoint is I think that Brandon Cooks is going to catch passes. I think Robert Woods is going to catch passes. I think Cooper Cup is going to catch passes. I think they're tight ends. Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee will catch Ty Todd Gurley will catch passes. And there's so much wealth to share amongst so many people. And if you go back and look at what the Rams did last year, it was that way last year. There was no receiver, as good as all were, that, that you might jump out and go invest an early round draft pick on, right? Robert Woods was great. I had him yep. at one point before he got hurt. And he was tremendous. Uh, Cooper Cup was very good and Sammy Watkins was good, but, but you can never count on anybody on a week to week basis standing out and differentiating himself and making sure that your team won. And I think it'll be similar with the Rams. There's going to be so much offensive production there. They're going to be so prolific as an offense, but I don't know if that lends itself to a wide receiver, which, by the way, then may point the finger back to Jared Goff as a guy that you'd want because he's got so So many many targets to throw to.
1: Too many options to fail. But along those lines about like one player not necessarily differentiating himself, every year we know that there are probably somewhere between five, six, maybe even eight backfields that essentially yield no utility for fantasy on a week-to-week basis. So my rankings are in some ways mind-numbing when you look at a team like Indianapolis, right? So Andrew Luck is back. He seems to be, you know, basically at 100%. They have a new offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni, and the head coach in Frank Reich, who, you know, the two of them will combine to orchestrate this offense. But we don't know a ton about any of the backs involved because it's so many young players, and Naheem Hines, and also Jordan Wilkins, their two rookie draft picks this year, Marlon Mack, who we talked about briefly, briefly earlier on, He's got a shoulder issue going into the preseason. Robert Turbin suspended to begin the season. Kristen Michael. Yeah, Kristen Michael is there as well. So Indianapolis, I think Green Bay, I think Detroit are all teams right now. The the Browns are falling in this category as well. Four backfields, and I'm saying to myself, if one of those players emerges, he has a lot of upside. I also think it's possible that none of them will consistently emerge in their respective backfields, that you just end up staying away like we've seen. I mean, that happens every single year. I mean, we, we couldn't quite get a, a, a Lions running back last season that you could count on week to week. You know, the Broncos really never yielded a back until late in the season with C.J. Anderson that you count on week to week. The Raiders are difficult to project week to week. So <laughs> there are teams that you try to size up all preseason, and then even when the season begins... You still sort of walk on eggshells if you're trying to draft one of those players.
0: Yeah. And that's why there's such great value in a guy like Ty Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Zeke, Elliott, all those guys, right? Because yeah. you just know they're, they're, they're givens.
1: And, and they're, are, there are givens, which is why. And we do this. I did a piece. I do it every year now. It's the nine rules of drafting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not that we fixate on, you know, just specifically nine, but nine of the rules to drafting. And the first one is based on, you know, draft based on value. And along those lines, if you can find a permanent running back, that player should be at the top of your wish list. Um, you know, I, I was just gonna think, Shefty, you know, what else stands out for my rankings? I can kind of go position by position of players that sort of stand out as being low, but I could I see the upside And a quarterback, I think I can find twenty quarterbacks that I can make a case for as a top ten player this season. Yeah. But the most interesting quarterback in fantasy for me this year is Patrick Mahomes. Uh, If you speak to anybody in Kansas City, um, if you listen to people like Lewis Riddick, you understand that the Chiefs have grand plans for Patrick Mahomes. You don't trade away Alex Smith, especially after winning 11 or 12 games last year, unless you believe in the player. Uh, I think Patrick Mahomes last year, the comparison that I have recently made, could be what Phillip Rivers was in 2016. Phillip Rivers threw for, I think it was 4,300 yards with 33 passing touchdowns, both oh. numbers that would be excellent for yeah. fantasy football. The problem was he threw 21 picks, and he had seven fumbles that year. And that may happen. Which might be the case with Patrick Mahomes. But if that number is cut from 21 picks to 12 picks, yep. you reverse the one and the two, then he's going to be a stud. Yeah. So that's a quarterback that, to me, is the most interesting going into this year amongst the names we're talking about regularly. Uh, at running back, you know, they're difficult to project week to week and I actually would love your thoughts here, Adam, on this team as the Patriots with Rex Burkhead and Sony Michelle because prior to Michelle's preseason, um operation or whatever procedure, procedure. Or whatever you want to call on his knee, I think there was, you know, I had some confidence that he could be not just the most productive back in this backfield, but maybe the runaway productive back in this backfield because He's got a dynamic skill set that might be a little bit different from some of the Patriots have had yeah. in quite some time.
0: Well, I'll say this that I just think that Rex Burkhead is the is the given commodity there, the known commodity. And and so to a lesser extent is James White, who's often overlooked. And if Sony Michel is nursing that knee injury and I think there were questions about his knee coming out, there were some teams that had medical red flags on him, the Patriots still took him in the first round. And whenever I see a team take a running back in the first round, I automatically say, whoa, they've got big plans for him. So mm-hmm. I'm sure New England's got big plans. Now the question becomes a medical one and whether he can be healthy this year. He's got the knee drain. That's never a good sign in the preseason. They 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 believe he's going to be ready for the start of the regular season. And, and at some point this year, I believe Sony Michelle is going to be a contributor. But the Patriot backfield is always very frustrating because you never know who's going to go off. And so unless there's somebody that stands out as a value, I'm not reaching on anybody there as much as I'd like to be invested in Patriot players in fantasy because they are so difficult to predict. And you mentioned the wide receivers at the beginning. Wide receivers are tough. Running backs are tough. Brady's not tough. Gronk's not tough. Quarterback, tight end. Yep. But last year on my team, I had James White. I had Burkhead. and, And I never knew what I was doing with these guys exactly. It was kind of tough. So... I think if Sony Michelle is healthy, I think he's going to have a significant role and make a major contribution. I just don't know where he's going to be on that point right now.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Another backfield that intrigues me, and then I get to wide receivers, is Seattle. Because part of me is yeah. saying, like, maybe Chris Carson's being overlooked. And some people, when, the, when the, the real NFL draft took place, when the Seahawks traded up to pick 27, took Rashad Penny, people said... Wait for yeah, a shot. A first Penny. round running back. A first yeah. round running
0: back. You automatically think production.
1: But I would say, you know, and people said, there's no way Rashad Penny deserved to go in the first round. Let me just say this, and Adam, I'm sure you got, I'm sure you, you know, have gathered as much. Seattle was not the only team that was preparing to take Rashad Penny in the back end of the first round. There yep. were others that were interested in him. People liked him, and uh, maybe, you know, maybe the pre-draft buzz didn't match the, you know, the day of hype. Mm-hmm. But Rashad Petty, you know, there's a lot of ability there. You know, in some way, shape, or form, he's going to make a major mark. The college production was off the charts, and not that college production always translates to NFL production, but it's a very versatile skill set. At wide receiver, two names from the same team that I love um, that have differing values because I think they're really good players. Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay of the Lions.
0: Oh, you love both of them, huh? Both and, of them. And, and Golden Tate's in a contract year and has been the steadiest and most productive of all those Lions wide receivers, and yet you name the other two.
1: It's interesting, right? And and not that I don't love Golden Tate as well. I just think the value of Marvin Jones based off draft position could be really, really good. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if he's like just a little bit overlooked just as a player in general. Not that he's of the ilk of you know Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, Mike Thomas, etc., Odell Beckham Jr., that class. Yep. Um, But really good player. And then Kenny Galladay. Remember last year came yeah, on like a freight. Blew up the, the preseason. Preseason. If you look at his numbers when he played last year, small, small-ish sample size, but he was really good. And, you know, I'm just telling you, he's a really talented player that I know the Lions like. And I think, you know, in an ideal world, they can keep him pretty involved this
0: year. And you like Marvin Jones that much too, huh?
1: I do like Marvin Jones quite a bit. Uh, so amongst those wide receivers, those are some names I'm keeping an eye on. You know, tight end's an interesting position this year because, as always, we've got this this, this tier of players at the top that you can trust. And then a drop-off. And then a major drop-off. And there are interesting names that will be ranked somewhere between 11 and 20. My one rule of thumb for people that are considering drafting a tight end, once we get past the Gronk, Kelsey, Ertz, Olsen, Delaney Walker, Evan Ingram type, it's like, when in doubt, I just I tend to avoid a team that plays two tight ends a lot. Mm. For example, Cameron Bray could have a nice year this year. So could O.J. Howard in Tampa Bay. I like both players, but O.J. Howard's a former first-round pick. Cameron brake got six years and $42 million this offseason. I'm not saying for sure that, you know, one will differentiate versus the other. My point is, like, I don't think I would roll the dice with one of them. I'd rather lean towards a player like Trey Burton, where you know he's going to be the focal point of the tight end group in the passing game for his respective team. Um, or a guy like, you know, I'm interested in someone like David Njoku. There is certainly um, there is some concerns I have about other players still playing a role. You know, Darren Fells uh, was yep. signed to a nice deal this offseason. Now, he's more of a blocking tight end, and Njoku probably still has some development left. But if he hits his upside, Jeff D, then I think he's going to be a of player that could finish as the top 10 tight end no problem.
0: Yep, that that and I could see that. And the tight ends to find a good tight end later, I think is a big challenge this year. And if you could do it, God bless you, because that that's going to be where I think fancy teams, some fancy teams, separate themselves. You brought up earlier that August is the busiest month for you, well, one of the busiest months yep. for you. Here's my question for you. I think back to when I started covering the NFL back in 1990. Been doing this for 28 years, and it used to be. When I was living out in Colorado, people would say, hey, how are the Broncos going to do this year? How are the Broncos going to do? Where are they going to finish? And living in New York now, I still get some many questions about the Jets and Giants, particularly about Saquon Barkley and Sam Darnold these days. But it seems like you get more questions about who you should take at number one, who are your fantasy sleepers, what players should you avoid. Do you think fantasy football, the popularity of it, has overtaken the popularity of the actual sport itself?
1: Yes. I I do, and maybe that's maybe that's just maybe it's a hot take. Maybe that's biting off more than I can chew. But I look at it this way: is let's just say randomly, you know, hey Andrew Norwell signs with the Jaguars for thirteen million dollars, thirteen point mm-hmm. five million dollars per season, or thirteen point whatever it was. You know what? The first question I often get is, what does yeah. that mean for Leonard Fournette's value this year? Yeah. And what I tell people is, like, in the in the short term, what it means is that Lennepernet doesn't have to buy dinner tonight because Norwell's going to be treating everybody in Jacksonville. Um, but I get why people are asking the question. And I think that what – and you and I have had this conversation along with our boss, Seth Markman, over the years is more and more we're getting to the point where all roads lead back to the same place with football, right? Fantasy football yeah. and quote-unquote real football are all tied in together. They're not – just You report on this stuff, and I know that when I wake up on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, sometimes you're tweeting at 1.30 a.m., sometimes it's 3.30 a.m., but I know it can count on five or six updates from you about the injuries for players in their respective game or respective week of games. And the first thing I do is, I th- I'll just be honest, is I don't necessarily think, like, hey, Sammy Watkins is out. Does that impact the Chiefs' ability to beat the Chargers? I think Correct. Oh, i got to remove him from my
0: lineup. Correct. It's an instinct at this point. Correct. I I think that fantasy has fueled the popularity of the sport. The reason the NFL is as popular as it is, that ratings, I know they're down some, but that they're still as high as they are is because there's so much interest in fantasy. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. And I don't think the players particularly care for that because it objectifies them. It treats them as commodities rather than humans. But fantasy is just an essential part of our world. It is.
1: It 100% is. And I don't think it's going anywhere. I think about the games that are being played throughout the week and the, going into the first preseason week, for example. How many people were saying, you know, the debut that I just can't wait to watch tonight is Mike McGlinchey of the 49ers mm-hmm. or Quentin Nelson of, of the Colts or Vita Veya. You know, they're all players that are going to be really good, you know, hopefully really good pieces for them. But people were saying, I can't wait to see Hayden Hurst for the second time around. Maybe he could be a sleeper tight end this year for the Ravens. Or I can't wait to see if DJ Moore or DJ Shark turns out to be the better DJ from this year's draft class of wide receivers for the same reason that we're talking about. It's 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 fantasy. It's vested interest in games that otherwise will not be irrelevant to you, but would be you know, I, I tell people that I have a list of uh, I call it remote stopping movies, right? It's movies that you know you're scanning through the guide and all of a sudden it's on, you're like, you know, I'm not going any further. The fantasy football has created that for the NFL is that it's Thursday night, you're just sort of flipping through the channels, and all of a sudden you realize that, oh, I have Larry Fitzgerald in my league, Correct. and the Cardinals are playing, you know, the Rams this weekend, and it'd be great to get off to a good start with maybe, you know, two touchdowns
0: for Fitz. It, it, it's all about that. And, I mean, I, I guess we can mention this, right? I mean, gambling is legalized, but, you know, people playing DraftKings, right? Like uh, a showdown format or whatever it is, a What I mean, there are different ways you can go about the game fantasy-wise. And so there are all sorts of fantasy implications with every game, with every move that's made, and you always are thinking about how that impacts your fantasy team. And people ask me all the time, who's your favorite team that you root for? And I mean this when I say it. My fantasy teams are my favorite teams. I I, I say
1: the same thing, Adam. It's funny. I said, you know, it's my fantasy teams. Um I also own up to the fact that, like, you know, by Thanksgiving of each season, mm-hmm. your energy can be impacted. So you're, you're sitting there, you're like – you you want your fantasy teams to win even more. And if someone were to ask me why fantasy is so important to me, it brings new life to each Sunday for us. And we are fortunate to be part of the war room each Sunday where we watch all of these games. And, you know, neither you or I played at the NFL level and would have, I'm sure we would have loved our experience to do that. And it's not new or the same thing, but my competitive juices rarely flow anymore. You know, like I, I, I was never an amazing athlete. I'm certainly, you know, I'm, I'm, In my own relationship, I'm decidedly less athletic than my fiance. Like, that's just the way it is going to be for life, right?
0: It's gotta affect a man's esteem, but okay, yes. Okay,
1: so what, I was hoping you'd just say, oh yeah, 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 no, I'm the same way with my wife. Uh, but like, I'm never going to be the best athlete in my own household, uh, ever again. So when I watch, when I play fantasy football, I'm allowed to cling to life, uh, to fantasy, to, to to athletic life again. It's like, hey, you know, like uh, my team is six and zero, like we're rocking and rolling here. Well, we you know what? This you
0: you get to run a team. You get to be a GM. Everybody's always wanted to be a GM. You want to cut a guy, go cut a guy. You want to trade a guy. I'm tired of watching this guy not get points for me. He's gone. I'm trading him. And so it's just great to be able to react in that way and to have a team that you manage. And to see how it goes on all year long. And,
1: and I think you and I are similar in this way. I mean, I think people know this obviously about you, but you know, to work as a reporter and an insider in the NFL, you have to have some compulsive habits in ways, right? I mean, you have to be willing to go the extra mile in every single story, and you have to be—I would say—addicted to the information, right? I mean, you yeah. crave the next. Story. You don't once you file once you file a story, it's it's on to the next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and. There's sort of a – that that same thing applies to fantasy sports, and, and I say fantasy sports, not just fantasy football. Just to pull the curtain back a, l- a little bit, this will be – this upcoming year will be the third year that you and I have basically co-run a basketball league here at ESPN. And while I love fantasy football, what I love even more about fantasy basketball is that I wake up every single day and have the opportunity to make a move. And that's part of what fantasy sports brings me into is I'm deciding – you know do i drop i'm just you know just making this up here do i drop bobby portis in order <laughs> to pick up you know luke Mba- amute this week you know like and, and, and probably people are like you're a sick individual if that like actually keeps you up at night but it's in some ways it, it wires me i love this stuff
0: basketball fancy basketball is one of my greatest hobbies it is my greatest hobby
1: and you are and i maybe you won't like me you know i, I don't want to you know i know you're a humble guy but you are our defending champ now in the uh, nba war room league so well, everyone's I, uh, coming
0: for the crown it, it, listen I, I would say this there's nobody that spends more time on it than me nobody you know like, i
1: can confirm that because espn tracks the number of transactions each team makes yeah. during the course of the year and last season like a, a robust number for the course of a of a full season is Anything I'd say anything north of like 400 transactions is a really good number. Um, it shows you're engaged. It shows that you take it seriously. Uh, you were, I think, right around 1,200 or something like that. I mean, it was like 500 more than the next person, and it was it was amazing to watch.
0: I I love doing it. I, I would set my lineups weeks in advance. Yes,
1: that was the best part
0: always, and it's just something that I love. And I love fantasy, and and I love talking to Field Yates. And I right, appreciate I shipping. appreciate you joining us, Field, and. Uh, hope everybody tunes in to the latest Fantasy focused football podcast. And we're going to have a great time this week on the ESPN Fantasy Football Marathon. Look forward to everybody tuning in. And Field, good luck in your fantasy draft. Let's get the draft order slotted so we can begin plotting who we're going to take.
1: I had the last pick last year in the Room League. I'm just hoping for a top five pick this year. Well, hopefully you'll get one.
0: And so a very special thank you to my friend Field Yates for dispensing all that fantasy football knowledge. One thing we didn't get to talk about that I wanted to was, how is it that you don't mind sharing all your tips and inside information and knowledge and hunches and players that you like? I don't really want anybody to know the players I like until after I draft. So I try to hold on to a little bit more information but I appreciate Field Yates opening up his notebook and sharing everything with us so I know what he's going to be thinking when we're doing the ESPN 16-team War Room League draft on Wednesday, September 5th, which I tremendously look forward to. I thank everybody for listening to this week's Adam Schefter podcast. Join us again next week. Have a great week, everybody.